And let me introduce my lovely wife, Caroline. She leads our River Kids program, and she is great, right? So please give her a warm welcome. Good to see you all. Good to be back. Like Charles said, we were gone for a month. And in case you guys are wondering, um, we were not at home with Charles while he was in bed. <laughs> so we ended up traveling for like three weeks without him and missed him very much. Um, so um, it's, it has been a very interesting vacation for us, but it's good to be back. Good to be back, uh, to have a routine. Summer is an interesting time for, for me, so I get to have July off. And as many of you who are parents here, summer is a mixed blessing, as you probably know. Um, so I just got back from um, visiting families in Korea. So it, I grew up in Korea. Um, I went to college there. So um, I am definitely very familiar with the culture there, their, um, how people live there, their education system, which reminded me again how miserable it is. So now it's even more miserable than when I went to school. But even when I went to school, it was pretty tough. Um, so when I grew up in Korea, when you're in school, everything is about going to college. Everything is about going to good college. And it seems that, I don't know if it, this is actually true or not, but it seems that everyone actually is preparing to go to college. And there's only one way to get into college, which is this national uh, entrance exam that you take at the end of your high school senior year. And you only get to take it once. You apply before your test. So whether you do well or not is sort of up to a lot of, some, of, some is luck. Some is your work up to that point. But if you apply to school, that's kind of hard to get into. There's always the chance that you will fail, even if you're good at school. And if you fail, uh, what happens is that you study for another year to take the exam again next year. So how you could see that it's like a very stressful uh, setup, and everyone is preparing for this one exam. So it seems that there was on, only one path in life, right? You're in school, you study hard, you get into college. There was, there's no other sort of choices. Maybe you think about which school, which major, but that was very minor. It was all about getting into a college. So after my senior year in high school, when I did not get into the college that I applied for, it was a shock. I was devastated. But more than that, the question um, comes up, what now? I suddenly realized there's not one path in life for everyone, but that it sort of split it into many paths and everyone on their own journey. I was a new believer then, and the idea of having someone, having a God who could guide me was very attractive and comforting. And as I get older, 
Um, I feel the need for this guidance as much as when I was younger, if not more. I turned 45 this year, and thank you. <laughs> and from the in middle age category, but still from time to time, I ask myself, what do I want to do when I grow up? Is it just me or some of you feel that way? And even when we're not actively dealing with that big question, a friend of mine once told me, for most everyone, there are two or three things we wish were different at any given moment. What do you think about that idea, even when you're not in a crisis? Can you think of two or three things, anything, that you wish were different in your life, you hope would change? Not that you're ungrateful or anything for the life you have, but if you had to think, you could think of something, right? So today I want to talk about following God's guidance because life can be confusing and overwhelming at times. And according to the Bible, God guides his people. And my, I myself include, um, experienced God's guidance over and over again starting from that time when I failed to get into college. So, if we have this loving and powerful God who works for our good, how does that make a difference in our daily life? So let's start by reading one of the many, many stories in the Bible where God guides his people. This one is where God leads his people into the promised land. So the Israelites, God's people in the Bible, just spent 40 years in the desert wandering around and living in tents. And before that 40 years, they had spent 430 years in Egypt, first as guests, but then as slaves to the Egyptians. And now, this is where the story picks up, where God says um, this to them. From Joshua 1, it's printed on your program as well as on the slide. After the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant. He said, Moses, my servant, is dead. Therefore, the time has come to, for you to lead these people, the Israelites, across the Jordan River into the land I am giving them. I promise you what I promised Moses. Wherever you set foot, you will be on land I have given you. From the Negev wilderness in the south to the Lebanon mountains in the north, from the Euphrates River in the east to the Mediterranean Sea in the west, including all the land of the Hittites. No one will be able to stand against you as long as you live, for I will be with you as I was with Moses. I will not fail you or abandon you. So God says it's time. After all those years of being without a home, now God's telling them that it is time to move into the land 
that he had promised to give them long, long time ago to their forefather Abraham. So this was a big deal. They've dreamed about this for a long time. The promised land meant a lot of things to Israelites, as you can imagine. First, it was a home where they would be safe, where they can be who they are, where they don't have to hide or leave the next day. That would be nice. Second, it was a place where they can build and grow, finally. A place where they can finally plant and harvest. They can build their house and decorate and make their own. They can grow a family there. They have a place to sleep and have dinner together every night. Where they can plan for their future was what promised land meant. And thirdly, it was also a place where they can become what God calls them to be. Going into the promised land was a proof that God was with them. God had promised this long, long time ago, and all along there was a plan, and the sufferings that they had during this journey had meanings. God promised to make them a great nation, a nation that is a blessing to all people, and this, in the promised land, this is where it is going to happen. This meant that they have a purpose in life, and they're finally going to fulfill it. Doesn't that sound wonderful? We all want to be in a place like this. Maybe not in that exact land of Canaan, but a place where we feel safe, we feel like we can grow and build and plan for future, and place where we can become who God calls us to be. But, there's always a but, there was a problem with the promised land. It was all that they have imagined it to be, but also not what they had expected. So when they first scope out the land under the leadership of Moses, that would have been 40 years before this story, they came back with this report. In Numbers 13, it says, this was their report to Moses. We entered the land you sent us to explore, and it is indeed a bountiful country, a land flowing with milk and honey. Here is the kind of fruit it produces. But the people living there are powerful, and their towns are large and fortified. So the land flowing with milk and honey is an expression for a land with good pasture. So it's a beautiful and bountiful land flowing with milk and honey, and the fruits are huge. But... The people living there are powerful. It seems impossible to take it. At least it would be very hard. The risk is very high. Now that sounds like every dream I've had. It is great, but probably won't happen. 
I know this precocious, fun-loving teenager, and he said once, uh, he once told me, well, Stanford sounds like a great school to go to, but I'm not sure if I'm willing to put in the work that requires me to get there. <laughs> Realistic, right? And we have dreams or goals in life that we kind of feel similarly about it. So the Israelites have this tension too. On the one hand, it's incredible. It is what they dreamed of, they yearned for. And as we read a few minutes ago, God is giving it to them. He says, into the land I'm giving them. They're going to enter in. He said, you be on the land I have given you. It's a done deal. It's theirs. On the other hand, the fact remains that if they want to live there, they still have to enter in and take the land. He says, wherever you set foot, which means they do need to set their foot on the land if they want to live there. If for their home, new home to be their reality, they need to enter the land and take it, walk on it. So the promised land is freely given to them, theirs. And they need to go in and take it. This tension is true in our journey with God as well. Our promised land, your promised land, life in all its fullness is offered freely to you. And we need to enter in and live it if we want it to be our reality. Let me share with you an experience I had this summer, which actually inspired uh, this talk. So I said earlier uh, briefly that I um, um, traveled uh, with my three kids without Charles. Uh, so I mentioned um, if you could think of two or three things that you wish were different in life. And for me, definitely one of those things would be um, the back trouble that Charles, my husband, has. So he's had it for 20 years. Um, as long as I've known him, he had it. So our life has been uh, managed to accommodate it. We're, it's arranged around it. But um, this last time when he heard it in June, it was worse than ever. So we go away in July every year. So we had planned this trip for months. Um, but at the last minute, we ended up deciding that he is not able to take that kind of trip. Uh, so he will have to stay home, and maybe he will join us later. We ended up that he never joined us later. So I travel with my three kids for three weeks in various places in the world, <laughs> in different hemispheres. So one of the things that we had planned for this trip was to visit my brother's family who live in Australia. So we were very excited about it. I've always wanted to go to Australia, and my brother's there for a few years, so we want to visit while he's there. So we planned everything. 
then paid for everything. So when last minute Charles couldn't go, my brother is expecting me, so I went with the kids. And we had a lovely week with my brother's family, uh, who lives, uh, they live in kind of northern part of Australia, kind of in the middle of nowhere. And we had also planned that we would visit Sydney on the way back because if you go to Australia so far, you have to visit Sydney, right? (laughs) You have to see the Opera House. So we thought, okay, on the way back, it will be just our family. We'll spend two nights there and, you know, make memory there. So that's how I found myself in Sydney alone with my three kids in the hotel room one night. And I'm like desperately trying to find something to do with them that I have to plan something that will, you know, be memorable and fun for them because I don't want them to be like later saying, do you remember that time we spent in Sydney? Yeah, that was lame. (laughs) So my, my goal was not to have that. Like, I just didn't want it to be lame. And this is not my forte. So when we travel, it's usually Charles who plans everything and take, gets, has the energy to get everyone to wherever that, you know, we plan to go. He's excited about that. I am not. I'm more of a, you know, I, let's just stay home all day kind of person. So I am there in a different hemisphere with my, my kids. And Charles is home, alone, in bed. And both of us are so stretched in our comfort zone because I don't like to be in a strange place and doing a lot of things. And he doesn't like to be alone at home. So there, there was that. So the morning after we arrived there, um, all these things are swirling in my head and I'm a little stressed. I want to explore this new land but a little bit intimidated by it, a little bit scared, even though they all speak English. And I didn't really gauge the weather properly, so it was way colder than I had expected. So in the morning, I'm thinking from the hotel room, which was right on the harbor, so it had a beautiful view of the opera house, and I'm thinking I should go out and run. That's my exercise, running. And... I've come to like it, and I've come to like um, exploring in uh, different places, running when I travel. But there's also that other part of me that feels a little bit scared and a little bit not wanting to go out in the strange place alone running. So I'm debating that. Do I? Do I not want to? So I go anyway. And it was great. It felt good to be out there. I got to see the opera house. It was a little cold, but it was a great time. And coming back, I had this um, moment where I felt like God was speaking to me. And I'm running, and every step I'm taking, and I had this feeling that somehow these steps matter, that I'm um, pouncing on this land and that matters. And I feel like God's saying, wherever you set your foot, the land will be yours, which is from the story we just read. I'm not claiming the continent of Australia or anything like that. (laughs) 
But I felt like God was really talking about my promised land. That God has given me my promised land, my rightful place in his history. And the, my willingness to go out there in this strange place and set foot on those grounds somehow mattered. It was something that spoke to me, and God was speaking to me about that. And there's no question of um, God, whether God gave me that place or not in his story. But God was telling me that it also mattered that you go out there and set your foot on it. You also need to step into that place that God has already given you. And every time I make a choice to step into that place, it counts however small it is, just like every step that I run matters. Wherever I set my foot, I'll be on the land God has given me. So that was very encouraging and at the same time challenging. God was telling me this to tension, the tension that I feel about my promised land and needing to live it. And we all have that tension. And, and it is, we are usually good at focusing on one of these aspects and forget the other. And some of us feel that we just need to believe and have no doubt and wait for God to make his plan happen for us. We don't want to get in the way. We don't want to force it. He will move and everything will fall into its places. I just read someone who uh, wrote an article about not being on an online dating site because they want God to write their love story. Maybe that for that person, that's a right choice. But it can't be that letting God write your love story means not trying to meet anyone. Or some of us fall on the other side of the spectrum and feel that it's all on us. I need to figure out the whole plan to go in there and take the land. I need to make sure I do everything in my power to maximize my chance. Yes, of course, God is with me, but he helps those who help themselves. Do you fall on one of these categories? We all have our tendencies, I think. But we, to follow God into our promised land, we need to remember that both are true. It is both true that God has a plan for us and he's working to give it to us. It is also true that we need to enter in and live it. So then what does it look like? What does it look like to follow God, remembering both of those aspects about our promised land and enter into our promised land? So let's see how the story in the Bible goes. What happened to the Israelites? From Joshua 3... In the morning, Joshua said to the priest, Joshua is the leader now, leading the Israelites into the promised land. He said to the priest, lift up the Ark of the Covenant 
and lead the people across the river. And the Ark of the Covenant was where the Spirit of God lived. It represents the presence of God. And so they started out and went ahead of the people, the priests. The Lord told Joshua, Today I will begin to make you a great leader in the eyes of all the Israelites. They will know that I am with you, just as I was with Moses. Give this command to the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant. When you reach the banks of the Jordan River, take a few steps into the river and stop there. So the people left their camp to cross the Jordan, and the priests who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. It was the harvest season, and the Jordan was overflowing its banks. But as soon as the feet of the priests who were carrying the Ark touched the water at the river's edge, the water above that point began backing up a great distance away from away at a town called Adam, which was near Zerithin. And the water below that point flowed on to the Dead Sea until the riverbed was dry. Then all the people crossed over near the town of Jericho. Meanwhile, the priests who were carrying the Ark of the Lord's Covenant stood on dry ground in the middle of the riverbed as the people passed by. They waited there until the whole nation of Israel had crossed the Jordan on dry ground. So they go with the Ark of the Covenant. It It symbolizes the presence of God. And when the priests who are carrying the presence of God, their feet touch the water, the flow of the Jordan stops. God intervenes supernaturally and opens the way for them to enter into the promised land. Here's an interesting and seemingly random detail that's given to us from the story. The water stops near the town called Adam. Adam in Hebrew means man, human really. And the Jordan River flows into the Dead Sea, usually. It is called the Dead Sea because it is so salty, nothing can really thrive there. Apparently, it is 9.6 times saltier than the ocean. So the Dead Sea really symbolizes death. Do you see here? Adam to Dead Sea. That part dried up. The water stopped flowing at the town called Adam. So I may be reading into this, but you see the water that flows from Adam, which means human, to the Dead Sea, which represents death, dries up when the presence of God enters in. We're all human. We're all meant to die. We daily flow into death. But when God goes with us, God gets involved in our life. When we invite God into our journey, he opens a way for us to enter into life. 
He opens a way for us that we may receive life in all its fullness. Our life may not be glamorous, that's never been promised. We may not be famous or have amazing successes. But God does promise that it will be great, that, they, that we will be filled and blessed, that we will be a blessing to others if we keep on following him, that we go with the presence of God and he moves the mountains and the rivers for us to enter into our promised land. And that's how we can go with God's presence into our promised land. Does that sound attractive? So how do we actually do it? How do we actually do it? I have some suggestions, maybe steps, if you will. First, first thing we need to do is to dream for your promised land in broad strokes. God is interested and invested in guiding you into your promised land. The first step in involving God in our journey is to give that idea a try, that God is actually guiding us. God has a place planned for you in his story, and he wants to guide you there. So dream for your promised land. Think about those two or three things in your life that you wish would change. Sometimes these things have been going on for so long that we're resigned. Sometimes I feel that way about Charles Back. And I cope, I manage, I try to just do what needs to happen. Because getting your hopes up can be painful. But give that a little more thought. What could be that thing that you wish were different, that you would want God's help with? What drives you? What gives you life? What would this promised land, how would this promised land give you the safe home where you can grow and build, plan for future, and where you can become whom God calls you to be? So start thinking about it. Dream about it, but in broad strokes, not in details. We can't know all the details of what our promised land will look like how we will exactly get in there and when. That will just have to unfold as we walk the journey with God as our guide. When we lock into details of the picture, we become reluctant and unable to see the ways God is guiding us. We'll be telling God, we're going the wrong way, God. What are you doing? Remember, God is our guide, not the other way around. So dream for your promised land in broad strokes. Spend some time thinking about that. Second, no matter how far or close you are to God, he is always with you. So talk to him. 
The Israelites, Israelites go with the Ark of the Covenant, which represents the presence of God. But what does it really mean to carry the presence of God with us, for us? We sometimes feel that it means that we do everything right. We pray the right way. We fast the right way. We need to always have faith and have no doubt. But that's unreal. That's Nobody could do that. That is similar to saying if we do all the right things and say all the right words, it will happen. But our relationship with God doesn't work like that. Going with God involves being in relationship with him, being in conversations with him, like you would walk with a guide. If we want him to be our guide, we would need to talk to him listen to him. Sometimes I have this tendency to feel that when I'm discouraged or upset, I am not with God and God is far away from me. I don't know about you. That somehow we need to feel calm and still and filled with faith to be close to God. Perhaps that helps us to hear from him better when you are calmer. But wherever we are, and no matter how upset or discouraged we feel, God is with us. And when I reach out to talk to God and spend time with him, that is when he helps me to become calm and less afraid, not the other way around. So regardless of where you are in your journey, he is with you. You may even feel that you're on a completely wrong path and it's your own fault. God is still with you. He knows how to lead you from there. So talk to him throughout your journey. He is a great guide and great friend. So you dream for your promised land. You talk to God. The third, what might look like moving toward the promised land for you? Think about that and do that. As I said before, God has given you your promised land freely, and it's yours. Yours to enter in and and live it if you want it to be the reality of your life. Following God's guidance does not mean that we make exactly the right turns and there are no mistakes. Like everything in life, it looks a lot messier than that. So don't worry so much about making the exact right decisions and following the exact instructions because oftentimes we can't. But talk to God and try to hear him where he may be nudging you toward to the best of your ability and try that it's like dipping your water uh, dipping your feet into the water and see if the river stops for some of you that might mean sitting still and keep doing what you're doing now faithfully for some others of you It might mean stretching yourself out of your comfort zone 
in some ways. It does not have to be big. It can be like going out for a run in a new place or in your neighborhood. So do something. Fourth, and also very important, is go with others. As I shared a little bit, this summer has been challenging for me. So sadly, at the end of my vacation, I felt more stressed than when it started. So last Wednesday, um, it's our staff meeting day. I was feeling in the morning down and grumpy and I didn't want to, I didn't see any break coming in the foreseeable future because I had just come out of a vacation. I didn't want to go to work. I did not have a very good attitude. Then I went to work because I had to and it was the day where all the staff get together Wednesday morning and I hadn't seen my team for a month. So we talked and we laughed and planned work together. And I felt more recharged and energized after the day of work. And I'm saying this as a major introvert who had just single parented three kids for a month. So the sense of the support and the sense of doing things together, not being alone, lifted my spirit and encouraged me greatly. So involve like-minded others. Talk to them about your promised land. Ask them about their promised land. You do not have to have the same dream, but we are meant to be traveling together and we're meant to be having fun with others on the way. Don't isolate yourself because you feel like you need to focus on your work toward your dream. Sometimes we do that. Sometimes I need to really focus on my work so I'm going to cut off other things. But don't isolate yourself because you need those people to remind you that God guides us and he is for us. You need those people to keep you accountable, to keep reaching for your promised land. One of those um, opportunities where you can do that is coming up at the River Partners Retreat, especially if you feel like you don't really have that kind of sense of community yet at the river. The, this, this year's theme will be God Expanded Life. So we will actually be talking about this, God-expanded life, in other words, promised land. So it will be a great place for you to involve others in your journey toward your promised land. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we thank you for being our friend, being our guide being our healer, that you are a living God who is involved and interested and invested in, in our lives, in each of our life. He um, wants to guide us to the land where we will be part of your story and be filled with life in all its fullness 
that we, it will flow into others, where we become blessing to all around us. So I just pray that you would excite us, inspire us, and encourage us. Pray that in those moments when we choose to listen to you and talk to you, that we will clearly hear your voice. We will clearly sense your presence being with us. So encourage us this week, Jesus, and show us what the next step might look like in our um, all different journeys that we're on. In Jesus' name, amen.